So we've been talking about karma, meaning action, remembering that Buddha did not create the law of karma, just as Newton didn't create gravity, but rather karma is just something that describes a natural functioning. Um, and here it says functioning is cause and effect, particularly on our mental stream, on our mind stream. Um, that links what we do now with what we experience in the future. And so cause and effect is something, um, I mean, it's funny because we sometimes have difficulty with the idea of karma. It sounds Eastern and weird. And yet we live our life very much as if there's cause and effect. I mean, you go to school to get an education so you can make money later. So that's because we believe that causes create certain effects. Yeah. Um, so what karma is talking about is, you know, again, causes create effects, but we're talking about it beyond just the span of being in this one body. In other words, it's based on an understanding that um, although our life seems very real and concrete and solid now, as if this is the only thing that's going on, in actual fact, who we are, in quotes, um, is something that came from before, exists now, goes on to the future. Yeah. So this life, uh, sometimes they say it's like a dream. Yeah. Because it seems very real and solid, like when you're dreaming, everything seems real and solid. When you wake up in the morning, last night's dream is very clearly last night's dream. And yet, what you dreamed last night affects how you get up in the morning. It affects you somehow. Uh, so similarly, you know, what uh, we're living right now seems very real and solid, but, you know, very easily we die, we get reborn, then, like, you know, what seems real and solid now becomes like last night's dream. Very quickly. Yeah. And yet still, uh, what we do now will influence how or what happens to us in the future, the same way as like, what you dream influences when you wake up. So there's the continuity of mind, you know, the whole idea of, you know, things influence one another. And similarly, what we're experiencing now um, depends a lot on what we did prior to this. Just as often when you dream at night, it depends on what you did during the day. You know, there's a mental state of something that's going on. And so... Um, Although things do not happen by accident, uh, they don't happen in a pre-planned, predetermined way either. This is something hard for us to, to understand because uh, our Western paradigm often sees things as either this or it's that. And we think that this and that includes all that there is. And then we ask a question out of that, like, is there free will or is it predetermined? And the answer you get back is, it's neither. Yeah. But we go, oh, it's got to be like that. Well, that's only because of our conceptual process. Okay? That we've made black and white and we thought that's all there is. There's actually a whole lot of other things that could exist too. Okay? And so, um, you know, we can see by our lives that there is free will, but there isn't free will. Okay, we can do absolutely anything we want to do. I know freedom and democracy say you can, but I mean, let's face it, you know, I can't flap my arms and fly. 
I have limitations. So it's not like we can do anything we want to do. We're limited by causes and conditions. We're limited by things in the past. Uh, you know, I didn't grow with, up with great wings, so I can't fly. I can't speak Russian right now. I forgot it all. Um, but, so it's not like we can do absolutely anything we want. Things depend, things that we can do depend on having created the cause. You know, if I had studied Russian and kept it up and et cetera, et cetera, then I could speak Russian now. The cause wasn't created, the results not here now. I can't speak. And yet, so we could say, well, you know, um, there's no absolute free will. But on the other hand, we can't say that things are predetermined. You can't say that it's stated and predetermined that I can't speak Russian. Because actually, I could have, you know, I mean, I did study it for a year. You'd never believe it. Um, and I could have kept it up and, and, you know, and then I could speak. So you can't say it's predetermined that I don't, don't speak Russian. Because definitely, I could have taken that route in my life. There was the choice to do that. There was the free choice to do that. Okay. But... You know, kind of once I get to where I'm at now, then I I am influenced by causes and conditions. Okay? So um, this paradigm of either this or that, we get stuck in and that really prevents us from understanding. And it's interesting because the more I get into the Dharma, the more I see often what makes us confused is how we're thinking to start with. And so we ask questions in a particular way and then we don't understand the answer we get because it isn't said in the way that we've been thinking. Yeah? And there were, like, there were 14 questions that different people asked the Buddha that the Buddha didn't answer. You know, so some people said, well, Buddha didn't know what he was talking about. There were 14 things he didn't know the answer to, so he just faked it and said, I'm not going to answer those questions. And that's not it at all. It's because the people who asked the questions were asking them, um, you know, it's like, is this table made of marble or concrete? And well, how do you answer that question? Is this table made of marble or concrete? When all the person is talking, all they can conceive of is marble and concrete, and yet this is wood. And if you say it's made of wood, they can't handle that. They can't conceive of that. So I think, you know, a lot of those things that the Buddha didn't directly answer, it's because of the conceptual processes of the people who are asking the questions. So I think often in the, in the discussion of karma, we have to really, um, again, look at our preconceptions that we're coming into the whole thing with. Yeah? And uh, check off our preconceptions. And again, I see this again and again, even in my own practice, that... Um, I have lots of preconceptions that I don't recognize as preconceptions. I think that's just the way things are. Yeah. And and then you come to Dharma teachings and your mind gets knocked around a bit and you come out feeling completely confused. And basically it's, it's because, um, you know, it's like our mind has a, a square hole and we're blaming the round peg for not fitting in. Yeah. Not a, not the issue. Communicating? Okay. So, um, anyway, the, the subject of karma is a quite difficult one. They say that to understand karma completely, every last detail, you have to be a Buddha. 
because uh, they say, you know, a full, complete understanding of karma is more difficult than one of emptiness. Because if you were to understand karma completely, perfectly, that means knowing that, like everybody who's sitting in, here in this room, all the different causes, they, specific individual causes of each person sitting in this room that they created in previous lives when they were born as this and that and this realm and that realm and what they thought and everything, so that they created the cause to be here right now at this moment. I mean, that's pretty heavy to be able to, to have that kind of clarity of mind and clairvoyant powers to be able to see all these different individual causes. So for that kind of understanding, to have that perfectly, one needs to be fully enlightened, you know, so that one's mind is really like a mirror that can reflect everything that exists. So what we're studying now is more the general principles. We're not studying the individual specific things of what each person did, because that's quite difficult for us to know. But if we can get an idea of the general workings of karma, then we can get some idea of um, kind of where we're going, kind of based on what we've done, what we can expect in the future. And we can make some very firm determinations about how we want to be and how we don't want to be. So it becomes very valuable in, in understanding our lives. Many people nowadays get really, um, you know, you read in, in the New Age newspaper about past life therapy and karmic, karma therapy and things like this. And, um, you know, from a Buddhist viewpoint, it's not so important to know exactly what you were in your previous life. Um, because anyway, it's over. It's more important, you know, how we're living now to, for our future life. So they say that, um, actually, if you are interested in what you, you were in a previous life, look at your present body. And if you're interested in what your future life's going to be, look at your present mind. Okay. Because if we look at our present body, you know, we have a human body. Well, that indicates something about our previous life. It indicates that we kept very good ethical conduct in our previous life. Because to have a human body, to have this kind of rebirth, requires, you know, certain causal things being created you know, specifically abandoning the ten destructive actions. So we can infer that sometime in our previous life we really practiced um, ethics quite strongly because that created the cause for us to get this present body. Or we look at the wealth that we have around us and the actual material ease with which we live compared to so much of the world's population, and we can infer that, you know, we were generous in previous lives because we have we're experiencing the result now. Okay, so by looking at our present body, we can see what kinds of things we must have done in the past. And then if you're interested in your future life, you look at what your mind is doing. You look at your present mind. Yeah. And so if the mind is, is motivated all the time by anger, attachment, and ignorance, then we can infer that if that's the causal energy motivating most of our actions, we're going to get very unfortunate results in the future. On the other hand, if um, most of our actions are motivated by non-attachment and compassion and wisdom, you know, a balanced mind, a sympathetic, kind mind towards others, then we can infer that if that's the causal energy, then we're going to get a different kind of result, one in which there's a lot of happiness. 
in the future life. So I often say in the teachings that, you know, people get really um, excited about going to fortune tellers. Not so much here, especially in Singapore. Oh, they just go bananas and it's fortune tellers. People do here sometimes too, you know. Um, and they say that, you know, if you go to a fortune teller and the fortune teller tells you, you know, oh, you know, you, you must have killed somebody in a past life, you better, um, you know, do some purification practice. Then you get really scared, you know, oh dear, I must have killed somebody, I better do some purification practice. Because the fortune teller said something really awful is going to befall me if I don't do this. And then we get very busy doing purification practice. Yeah? But if, you, if we come to Buddhist teachings, and Buddha said, you know, if you've killed sentient beings, you put negative impression on your mind, and it brings suffering in the future, then we don't believe that. That doesn't influence our life at all. <laughs> yeah? Isn't it interesting how we are? Yeah? I mean, Buddha kind of gives ethical guidelines, and, you know, that's just descriptions of this creates the cause for that. You know, what is it? What's he talking about? How could this be? We go to, to a clairvoyant or a fortune teller, they tell something. We're so serious, you know, really will motivate our lives. Yeah? I had one man call me up one time, and he was just so distraught because he had gone to the fortune teller, and the fortune teller told him this, that awful thing was going to happen to him. But the fortune teller had a special amulet that cost $400. You know, Singapore dollars, so that's like about two, 250 you know, US. And if he got that, then, you know, that would help. So he, he definitely got that. And then he was having some problems in his marriage, and so he brought the fortune teller home. And the fortune teller, you know, told, looked, at, looked at his wife's hand and said, Oh, you know, you, you kind of, your, something happened to your father because I can see in the lines of your hands something's going to happen to your mother because I can see. And this poor woman got completely hysterical, you know. Yeah. And so, of course, the fortune teller had another ambulance that would help. <laughs> <laughs> so the man called me up. And you know what he wanted from me? He wanted me to tell him if what the fortune teller said was true, if all these horrible things were going to happen to him. And I kept saying, I don't know, I don't read palms, I don't read fortunes, you know. I mean, um, I think I was trying to tell him, you know, try to have a good heart and act kindly towards other people and, you know, avoid acting negatively. He didn't want to hear that, you know. I mean, I probably could have gotten $500 if I could have <laughs> <laughs> You know, I couldn't tell him what he wanted to hear, the poor guy. <laughs> yeah, and he didn't want to hear what, what uh, you know, anything about the Buddhist teachings. It was really quite sad. Quite sad. Because, you know, he had all this stuff with the fortune teller, wound up more confused and poor. <laughs> and yet still with great faith in fortune tellers. Isn't it interesting? And yet Buddhist teachings, you know, from what I miss at least. Anyway, so um, <laughs> today we're going to talk a, a little bit more about karma and how it works different categories of karma, different things about karma. There's really quite a bit in here to think about. So 
Um, when we talk about karma in general classifications, we can talk about contaminated karma, uncontaminated karma, and karma which is neither. Okay? So contaminated karma is karma that is created under the influence of disturbing attitudes. So, you know, whenever there is the grasping at true existence in the mind, then there's some kind of contaminated karma being created. And then especially when we have anger manifest or attachment or greed or jealousy, um, that that is negative kinds of contaminated karma. We might even have very virtuous minds. We might even have a mind of loving compassion or a mind of great confidence in the triple gem or a mind that really of, of enthusiasm that takes great delight in, in practicing dharma. But because our mind is still tainted by this grasping at true existence, that karma, even though it's positive karma, it's still considered contaminated karma. Okay? It's contaminated by the grasping at true existence. And so karma, this grasping, this ignorance that grasps at true existence is the fundamental cause of our problems. It's the ignorance that believes things are really inherently independently existing the way they appear to us. Okay, and this is a, is a grasping, it's a belief that we've had one of these preconceptions that we've never questioned, like I was talking about before, they, certain things we never question. And so we never question the fact that just as things appear to our senses, that is exactly how they exist. We never question it. And yet, um, we actually, if we begin to question it, we might discover that the way in which things appear to us to exist and the way in which we think they exist isn't really exactly how they exist. You know, that they aren't independent individual entities that exist in and of themselves. Rather, they're interdependent, interrelated things. But we don't always see that. And we see them only as solid entities external to us. So that fundamental grasping at inherent or independent or true existence is what contaminates all the actions that's done. Okay? And the way, why we say contaminates, it's because that ignorance is a wrong view, it's a wrong perception, so that everything that's done is, even though it, it might be virtuous, like an attitude of loving kindness, it's not completely clear and perfect because, you know, something's, something's tainting it, okay? It's like you have a dirty mirror and you can still reflect things in it, but they're dirty when you reflect them. So, you know, you might reflect a beautiful chocolate cake in the mirror, but it's tainted because the mirror is quite dirty. So it's kind of like that, okay? And so this contaminated karma is what causes rebirth in cyclic existence. So one is born within cyclic existence due to this contaminated karma that is created under the influence of the grasping at inherent existence. Okay? Okay. So... 
um, this is the kind of karma that ordinary beings create. And I think it exists also in some, in some cases in some of the mind streams of the beings who have understood emptiness, like some of the previous karma might be contaminated, have completely been purified. Okay. Now what we have in, when we're talking about uncontaminated karma is karma that isn't created with this strong, solid grasping at true existence. There may still be the appearance of true existence. And so um, when you get to a certain level of the path where you perceive emptiness directly, when you're in meditation on emptiness, you don't have any false appearances to your mind because you're seeing reality, you're seeing the lack of independent existence. When you come out of your meditation, things still appear to you to be independently existent, but you don't really believe it anymore. It's analogous to dreaming and knowing you're dreaming. You still have the appearances, but you know they're only dream things, that they're not real things. Okay? So when somebody has this kind of ability, then, um, and especially when they've been able to later on cut the grasping at true existence from their mind stream completely, then they still may create some kind of karma, because karma means intentional action, but it's uncontaminated karma, because this karma isn't contaminated by this really strong grasping inherent, at inherent existence, and also because this karma does not create the cause for rebirth in separate existence. This karma becomes the cause for liberation and enlightenment. And so sometimes, you know, when we talk of the high-level bodhisattvas, then they, out of compassion, take rebirth in cyclic existence. They don't take rebirth out of the force of their ignorance and their grasping at true existence. So they're not taking rebirth out of that ignorance and out of the contaminated karma. But rather, they have full compassion, they have wisdom, and thereby by choice and by the force of their compassion, then they choose their rebirth. Okay? So that's not a rebirth within cyclic existence, even though those bodhisattvas may appear, you know, in the midst of us. Do you understand this? 